kind of feel like it would be about impossible to have been a child in America in the last 60 years or to be around children in the last 60 years and not be a little bit familiar with the children's chorus if you're happy and you know it. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. We have four happy people here. That's awesome. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show it. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. There's just something about you can't help but smile when you hear that song. Now, let me just tell you something as a little aside. The origins of this song are a little bit fuzzy, but in 1971, there was a music publishing company that filed a copyright on If You're Happy and You Know It. And they listed as a songwriter a guy by the name of Joe Raposo. Now, Joe Raposo is probably not a household name. But I promise you, in addition to If You're Happy and You Know It, you know another one of his compositions. Check this out. joking me right now if you only wrote if you're happy and you know it in sesame street that's a great resume i mean that's unbelievable just those two songs alone but it's interesting he was the musical director for sesame street for all of those years with jim henson and the muppets and everything but if you listen to sesame street but especially if you're happy and you know it there's just something just the music itself kind of is a little joyful it makes you kind of smile a little bit maybe remember when you were a kid and you watched it or when your kids were kids and you watched it but if you're happy and you know it there's something about that song that is so infectious and there's something about it I think the music is infectious but it's also just so self-explanatory you know if, if you're happy and you know it clap your hands and then it goes on of course to you know shake your head stomp your feet do all three yada yada it's, it's an incredible incredible song because I, I think most of us we we understand what to do when we're happy don't we? we we intuitively get it when it comes to how we're supposed to act and how we behave when everything's cool but if you're unhappy and you know it if you're unhappy and you know it that's a different game altogether and if you're unhappy and you know it Hanging on to happy or maybe rediscovering happy is absolutely not a children's game. It can be really, really hard work. If you're, if you're unhappy and you know it, what do you do? What, what, do, you, what do you say to the, to the mom who's lost a child? What do you say to the, the businessman who's friend and associate of 30 years is discovered to be a fraud what what do you say to a to a, a college student who suddenly discovers that he is completely on his own financially for college and the remainder of his life what do you say to the business owner whose company faces government sanctions that were not at all his fault but now all of a sudden are absolutely his responsibility you know, all of these examples that I've just listed for you are not just cooked up. 
Those are real world examples that are going on around us day in and day out. And as a matter of fact, every single one of those examples, not one of them contributed to or created the circumstances that they find themselves in. And every single one of them, they would affirm the foundation that we laid last week as we started this series, Happy All Year. That that biblical foundation, that that command from Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, where the Bible tells followers of Christ, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. But it can be so difficult to square that command of Scripture with the reality that that sadness is is a part of our existence. It happens in our world, and it, it can be circumstantial, but it can also be sometimes just kind of our temperament and, and basic bent. There, there are people for whom happiness and joy requires real effort on an ongoing basis. So how do we, how do we get there? What, is that, what does that look like? Because the fact of the matter is we're not always loving what's going on around us. And yet the Bible commands us to rejoice in the Lord always. Tell your neighbor right now, look at your neighbor like you mean it, with passion and enthusiasm, it means always. It means always, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the situation. And so that's what we're after today. We're, we're, we're wading into some deep, deep waters. As a matter of fact, theologians have, have suggested for centuries that the single greatest challenge to the Christian faith is where is God when we hurt? Where, where is God when we suffer? And, and this morning, I think we, we've got our sights set on some, some really big game spiritually, if you will. Let me, let me ask you a question. How many of you in the room, how many of you are hunters? If you're a hunter in the room, just raise your hand, lift your hand. Listen, if you're a hunter, lift your hand and be proud about it. Don't worry, I'll take the emails. That's okay. You know, I've noticed something about hunters. Hunters, first of all, are phenomenal conservationists. Hunters do more to conserve the environment and habitat and animals than anybody on the planet per capita, not even close. But there is a progression that most hunters follow. I've noticed that most hunters, particularly if they start out young in life, the way God intended children to be raised, that... (laughs) that most hunters start out small. They, they hunt things like rabbit or, or, or squirrel, maybe, maybe birds from time to time. But then they, there's this progression, and they graduate from small game, and they move up the chain to maybe pigs or hogs or maybe even white-tailed deer. But there are some people in this world who are big game hunters. I'm talking about people who go after, like, like on a regular basis, elk or, or moose, you know, bighorn sheep. African animals. These are the people. Now, big game hunting is different because big game hunting is not just something where you, you know, you throw your gun in the back of the truck and drive out and kind of see what happens. Big game hunting requires years and months and months of preparation and practice. You you have to get in shape usually because it will require, the hunt itself will require days and days of packing and hiking and finding and tracking and stalking but man when when you finally harvest a big game animal there's this there's this sense of 
relief. As a matter of fact, a lot of, most of the time, big game hunting is really expensive too. It's not a game for the faint of heart. But when you finally harvest a, a big game animal, there's this, we did it. I mean, there's this, this sense of accomplishment, this sense of relief, this sense of exhaustion, this sense of excitement. And, and today, you and I are after some spiritual big game. We're, we're after something because it's in those, those dark nights of the soul. It's in those moments when we don't think we'll ever be happy again or we can't imagine what happiness will ever feel like again. It's in those exact moments that God, in his amazing grace, God invites us into the gospel that God invites us into the good news of Jesus Christ because Jesus, Jesus gives us the power. He gives us the permission to hope in the middle of our hurt. He, he gives us the power to pursue peace and even purpose in the middle of our pain. It's not that we have to deny that we've ever hurt or act like everything's fine when it's not, but it's that in the middle of it, because of Jesus Christ, we can hope again. We can be peaceful. We can find purpose. And as I said, it, it doesn't come easy. We're, we're not going to get to our big game spirituality but with just kind of a drive-by bumper sticker theology. We've got to really and truly dig down deep into the, the rich mine and the vein that is the Christian faith. Lisa Harper is a Christian teacher, a phenomenal teacher of Scripture, author, speaker. She travels the world. This is what Lisa Harper says about holding on to our happy. She writes, the key to hanging on to our happy... That is our deep sense of fulfillment, contentment, and delight. When horrible things happen is to recognize this. Real, God-imbued happiness is not the absence of sadness or badness. Rather, it is hanging on to the truth of His sovereign goodness regardless of what's going on within or around us i love that she included that last phrase regardless of what's going on within or around us you see you and i live in a world where most people most people absolutely allow their feelings to be sovereign in their lives but what lisa harper is getting at here is that in the gospel in God's economy, we are called to not just kind of think differently, but we are called to allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to radically redefine and reshape not just what we think, but the way that we think, the way that our minds operate. If I could paraphrase Lisa Harper, I think what she's getting at here is if you're unhappy and you know it, change your mind. If you're unhappy and you know it, change your mind. If you're unhappy and you know it, then your thoughts will surely show it. If you're unhappy and you know it, change your mind. Tell your neighbor right now like you mean it. Change your mind. Change your mind. Now, 
can I just take a timeout? Let's just, let's just take a little T.O. here. Timeout, not Terrell Owens. Timeout. And let me make sure that you understand what I'm not saying. What I am not saying in any way, shape, or form is that if you would just throw a switch and think positive, happy thoughts, rainbows and unicorns, you would just toggle over from sad to happy and everything's fine. It is not that simple. Don't think for one second that when the Bible says rejoice in the Lord always, again, I say rejoice. It means just be, th- be happy. Just think happy thoughts. You know, we had a unique environment in our household when our kids were growing up. It, it was just kind of, it was one of those things, Julie and Joseph and I, we have a personality that is, is kind of prone to joking. We were kind of prone to poking fun at people. You'll notice I mentioned Julie and Joseph and me. There, there was another member of our family, Emily. Emily is incredibly funny, but her personality is not prone to joking. Emily's personality is prone to feeling. And that's just kind of the way that she's wired up. How many of you know somebody who's prone to being a feeler? Can I just see a show of hands? Don't elbow anybody that you're sitting next to. Well, when Emily was much younger and before I understood her propensity to feeling and our understanding of our propensity to joking, there were times when she would become so emotionally invested in things that I thought weren't that big a deal. I mean, like Emily is one of these people, she can get just, she can get so passionate about the fact that today is Sunday. It's like, it's Sunday. Do you know what that means? I'm like, no, what does that mean? She goes, it's Sunday. I mean, she's, she's just a feeler. Everything, it, it hits her deep, deep down in her soul. And, and I had to learn that that was just kind of the way she's wired up. But she had to learn that maybe the fact that today is Sunday was not something to cause the earth to stop spinning. That, that maybe she could feel a certain way, but then choose how she responded to how she was feeling. Does that make sense? And I think that a lot of us need to learn that, that God calls us to think differently. That, that he calls us especially to rethink what we think about happy So when we tell each other, hey, happy all year, we're not just saying, hey, just have happy thoughts. We're saying, choose how you respond in every single situation. Here's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. This is one of those verses I would encourage you to memorize. I would encourage you to internalize it so that you can spiritually metabolize it and make it a part of your arsenal day in and day out. I love what the Bible says here. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. It says this. We demolish. Say demolish. demolish. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We demolish arguments and pretensions that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. This is where this is so important. 
what we believe determines how we behave. And so it's imperative for us to allow the truth of Scripture, the reality of what God says biblically, to be the bedrock of what we believe. You see, when I allow my emotions, when I allow my feelings or my circumstances to determine how I behave, then I am setting myself up for a real, real rocky ride. Because I'm just going to be honest with you. Now, I told you that Emily is emotional. In fairness, she might have gotten some of that from her daddy. I, I, I can be passionate as well. I, I, I love life, everything about it. But when we allow our emotions to determine how we behave, how we respond in certain circumstances more than the truth of Scripture, then we're always coming and going, ebbing and flowing. God says, no, 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 no. Demolish every argument that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, against what God has said biblically. And take every thought captive to Christ. Every single thought captive to Christ. Now, I alluded to this last week. The fact of the matter is, our brains are crazy, crazy computers. And they can do some amazing things. But it's also true that our brains can get just absolutely whack if we're not really, really careful about what we feed ourselves intellectually, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, in every way, shape, and form. So we have to be careful about the thoughts that we have. Every single thought is brought captive to Christ. That means that we subject it. We submit our thought life, our minds, to the authority, to the sovereignty of Jesus' goodness, of Jesus' grace and truth. Every thought captive to Christ. You see, a lot of times we get hung up on just what we do. And we like to say things like, well, I'm a good guy. I'm a good girl. Really? Well, let's, let's talk about your thought life. Let, let's talk about what happens in your mind when, when nobody's around and nobody else can read your mind. Are you really and truly good all the time in your mind? None of us is. Nobody is. This is not like a, nobody's pointing you out. We're all saying we're all in this together, and we all need to bring our thoughts captive to Christ. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. We change the way that we think. Our minds are renewed in Christ. Our minds become new creatures in Jesus. And so in Christ, we rethink happy. We, we start to understand our own personalities, our own propensities, as well as 
the circumstances that we find ourselves in, good, bad, and ugly, those people that I mentioned earlier and the, the challenges that they're facing right now, those are real. Not one of them would tell you, well, that's just, an, that's just a mirage. No, they would say, listen, it's real as rain, Jack. But they are viewing those circumstances differently because of Christ. They are allowing Christ to renew their minds. Romans chapter 8 is really a handbook in grief recovery, in sorrow or depression recovery. It's an opportunity for followers of Christ to discover, number one, how these things happen, why they happen, but number two, how and why they weather these things. Romans chapter 8 is an incredible, incredible gift from God into the life of anyone struggling with finding happy again, with, with trying to figure out how do I rejoice in the Lord regardless of the circumstances that I'm in. Now, I, I don't know where you are today. Some of you may, man, 2018 may be rocking off to just a phenomenal start, and you're just kind of like, dude, I feel the wind in my hair or where my hair used to be, and, and everything's just awesome. And if that's you, that's great. But I promise you, every single one of us in this world, we will have troubles. Jesus said it. He said, in this world you will have troubles, but take heart, for he has overcome the world. And in Romans chapter 8, God explains how we do this. Romans chapter 8, this is what the Bible says in verses 22 through 23. The Bible says, we know. Say, we know. We know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. So again, he's talking about the way that we think, and he's saying that the scope of our perspective determines the hope of our objective. The scope of our perspective determines the hope of our objective, what we're after, our goal. You see, when we get into the middle of suffering, when we get into the middle of, of horrible circumstances or situations, the temptation is, our tendency most of the time, is to focus only on the moment and what's right here. But God says, whoa, 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 pull back out. Let, let's come back out to a 30,000-foot altitude view and remember that we're talking about this in the scope of all human history that God is involved in. And in the scope of human history, we live in a time right now where all of creation is groaning. We're, we're all waiting and hoping for the return of Christ when everything will be set right. When he will dry every tear. When he will bring to justice every wrong. And, and we're waiting for this. We're expecting it. Hoping for it. Groaning for it. 
It, but it's coming. And when you understand it in the scope and the sweep of human history, your perspective changes. And when the scope of your perspective changes, all of a sudden you find cause for hope. And when you find cause for hope, you realize, yeah, this can be absolutely lousy. This can be just ugly that I'm in the middle of. But this isn't the end of the story. This this isn't even the beginning of the story. This is just going to be part of the story. And because of the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, I have hope no matter what. Because Jesus subdued sin and defeated death then I know that when he promises to come back and set everything right and dry every tear, I know he's good for it. I know that he is my hope. And my hope changes my scope. And it changes the way that I look at every single thing in this world. It may not change the circumstances in the moment, immediately. But it absolutely changes the way that I look at them. And I remember that I'm not dependent upon myself. I'm not dependent upon my circumstances for my hope. I am dependent upon the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who got up out of the grave. And he is the one that I depend on. And it is because of him that I can have hope no matter what. Tell your neighbor, no matter what. what. Now, that's our scope. That's our perspective. Look at what it says in verses 24 and 25. It says, we were given this hope. When we were saved. Now, if we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. See, we, we, we're waiting for Christ's return. We, we know that it will happen. We're, we're hoping. We don't have it yet. But we believe, we trust that he will do what he has said he will do. And it's, it's in that faith, it's in that trusting that we can go back to the command, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice, celebrate, get your celebrate on. Because we rejoice not in our circumstances always. Sometimes our circumstances are painful. Sometimes they're devastating, but they will never overwhelm us because nothing will separate us from the love of God. And so we have this hope. We we have this hope because of Jesus. We rejoice in the Lord. In the Lord is that phrase that that takes our hope to the HNL, that whole nother level where we understand God is up to something. God is working. He's brought us too far to leave us hanging. He is working and I will trust him for where he is taking me. In the Lord. And it's that in the Lord that is the beginning, that is the sustaining, and that is the perfecting of our faith. We were given this assurance when we were saved. When we came to faith in Christ, when we stepped over that line of trust, God gave us this hope. No matter what. No matter what. No matter what. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. If you're here today and you've never stepped into that relationship over that line of faith, 
we invite you to do it right now. It's one thing to talk about big game spirituality, rethinking happiness. But as I said, it begins and it ends. It is sustained in a relationship with Christ. A relationship with Christ that begins when you commit your life to him. When you personally and definitively step over that line of faith. If you're here today and you've never done that, we want to invite you to respond to his grace right now. To take this moment and just silently pray right where you're sitting a prayer of commitment. Just talk to God in your own words and say something like this. Just say, just silently talk to him and say, Jesus, I need you. I need forgiveness. I need your grace. Jesus, I need your peace and your comfort. And so right here, right now, I commit my life to you. Jesus, I confess my sin. All of it. And I will claim your forgiveness. I accept it. All of it. And Lord, I will follow you from this moment forward with everything that I've got. And I pray this prayer in your name. For just a moment, if you would, remain with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. But for those of you who just stepped over that line of faith, I want to make sure that you understand that this, this church, this family of faith is here to help. So there are a couple of things that I want to ask you to help us help you, if you will. Number one, if you would, open up the program that you got when you came in today, and you'll notice inside there's a connect card. If you will, just even now, begin filling that out. You'll notice about halfway down there's a place to indicate, I committed my life to Christ this week. If you'll indicate that, and then once you've finished the card, just fold it along the, the spine there at the perforation and tear it off. And before you leave, hand that card to one of our ushers. Or maybe somebody under the, the blue awning out on the big front porch. That just allows us to, to help, to come alongside at whatever pace works for you. But number two, I want to ask you, if that was your prayer... In this sacred moment with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you would just, would you just raise your hand? 
just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for a moment because what you're doing, you, you stamp this moment in your life, but also in the life of this church. Because for us, there's nothing more important, nothing more sacred than what God did in your life right here and, and others like it. And so as a church, we honor that and we celebrate that. As you put your hands down, we put our hands together just to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home. 